Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode 160 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It has been a few weeks since our last podcast and we have some NBA draft news to break down, including who won the Zion Williamson lottery, some updates on the recruiting front, and we'll discuss the NBA playoffs that are going on literally as we record right now. Uh, before we do that, this episode, of course, is brought to you by those fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA, with offices in Florida and Texas. And for all of your business love needs, you know Bird Campbell means business. It's Donald Wine here, your host for this episode. I'm coming to you from my usual home in Washington, D.C. As usual, the other two legs of the Duke Basketball Report tripod are also with me. First off in Atlanta, we have Jason Evans. And Jason, last weekend was a very special one for you, wasn't it? Boy, it sure was. And uh, for everyone listening, this is going to divulge something about my age as the elder statesman of the DBR podcast. I spent the weekend. We already know. Jason, we already know. (laughs) I spent the weekend at my son's college graduation in Philadelphia. My son graduated from Haverford College, uh, which is a school that produces the finest, most wonderful people. And for some reason, they also allowed my son to attend. But uh, it was it was a great weekend. Um, uh, I, I think that as a parent, uh, once your kid graduates from a top school, your job is really, really done. So I've got one down and one still to go. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. Thanks for asking about it. And so, so proud of him. Graduated with a degree in physics. He, he had to do a thesis. It was on something about black hole pulsars and the gravitational waves they produce. I don't even begin to understand it. He's no, smart. I- He's smarter than I am. <laughs> I mean, he's smarter than at, at least me too. Um, I, I won't. I won't go so far as to say he's smarter than Sam because Sam's pretty pretty smart. But uh, no, congratulations to your son and congratulations to you and the better uh, uh, at better half of the Evans clan um, for that. That is a really really special thing. And we, you know, it's Mother's. It was Mother's Day, and and you know, it, last weekend, and you know, just having graduations like around here. Um, that is always a special event. So I know you're very, very proud of your son. So congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so, and last but certainly not least, we have Sam Klein. Sam, I know you're not in Durham right now. Uh, so where are you joining us from this evening? Yeah, of course. I am in Seattle, Washington, up in the Pacific Northwest. I am going to be here for the next two to three months or so doing a, uh, doing a summer internship up this way, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. I'm very excited to be back uh, somewhere that appreciates the outdoors the way that that Denver did for me for many years. Uh, so that is cool. It was my uh, it was my first day at work today. Um, so it's been it's been a little bit hectic in my life with school ending and and coming out here. But I am guys, we haven't talked in a while. So I feel like this is one of like low key one of the longest breaks we've ever taken, especially given that there's been so much news. But the schedules haven't aligned. You know, Jason had the graduation. I had this move coming up. So uh, I'm glad to be back with you. And uh, also, of course, thrilled that the Wi-Fi works in this rental property that I moved into two days ago. No, it, it, you sound great. You sound like you're back home uh, on, on 9th Street over, uh, over in uh, Durham. So that's good. Shouts, shouts, of course, to 9th Street. Yeah, <laughs> all of Ninth Street. Dane's yeah, place, big, what up? Big ups to Dane's. We're working on that sponsorship. <laughs> By the way, you, you you know what the problem has been? There's been tons of news, but all that none of it has been like, oh my God, we need to record. We must talk about this. This is so, so super, super duper important. We haven't had anything like that. So it's like, we keep on having like, Two or three things happen. We go. Oh wait, right. we'll talk about that next pod. We'll talk about that right, next like, pod. Like Boogie it's Ellis, time for the next pod. <laughs> Boogie Ellis decommitted. We're going to obviously talk about that, but it's not like Vernon Carey decommitted, right? You know, exactly. it's not like yes. it's not like Zion Williamson uh, was unhappy with the Pelicans. Therefore, he's coming back to school. Not that would have been not that would have been <laughs> that would have been emergency phone call reaction time. Like oh. Sam. Like that would have been like Sam drunk at the tavern. That would have been uh, the lost epi- like the lost Louisville episode. Oh, <laughs> RIP, RIP yeah. that recording. Okay. Um, well, first uh, you you mentioned it. Let's start with the NBA draft. Okay. Um, last Tuesday, the NBA draft held its annual lottery to determine the order of the first fourteen picks in the 2019 NBA draft. The prize piece every team involved in wanted was the right to draft Zion Williamson with the first pick. New York Knicks fans were praying it was going to be their team that won the sweepstakes, and in the end, it was not. It was the New Orleans Pelicans, the surprise winner with just a 6% chance. They land the number one pick. The Memphis Grizzlies pick number two. The Knicks will have number three, 
and the Los Angeles Lakers will have the number four pick. So it's very likely that Zion will be a Pelican and RJ Barrett will either be a Grizzly, a Nick, or a Laker. Uh, so Jason, I want to start with you first, but I just talked about Zion and RJ. We're going to discuss them a lot. I want to get your thoughts on your hometown Atlanta Hawks. They picked number eight, and it's possible. And that, number 10. Eight and, and number 10. 10. And it's yeah. possible that Cam Reddish will be around when they're on one of those two clocks. First off, do you think Cam will drop that far? And if he does, do you think Reddish will be joining you in the ATL? So uh, all the uh, almost all the mock drafts um, have Cam going to the Hawks at number eight. That's like a, really a consensus kind of thing. I've looked at about five or six different mock drafts. And uh, there, there's one uh, – Sports Illustrated has Cam going number five. Um, but for mm-hmm. the most part, all the other folks, uh, ESPN, um, The Athletic, Bleacher Report, The Ringer, everybody has Cam going number eight to the Atlanta Hawks. I think it's going to be a real – it would be a very interesting fit for him. The Hawks are a team that plays with a lot of pace. I think – I believe I saw that they played at the most possessions, the fastest pace of any team in the NBA this year. Um, they've got a dynamic point guard that they're building the entire operation around. Um, in Trey Young, and uh, he's the kind of guy who creates opportunities, and he would probably be able to feed Cam uh, on the wing for for a lot of open three pointers. Um, they're a very interesting young team, one of the most exciting young teams in the league. Most people have they had a really good shot at getting Zion because um, they had the fifth worst record in the NBA, so they were up there in the odds. And all the experts said the best landing spot, the best fit. Zion Williamson was going to be the Atlanta Hawks. It didn't work out for them, but I, I think it, I, I, I'll go on record right now. I think it's very, very likely that the Hawks land Cam Reddish um, with the number eight pick, and and I think he'll be a good fit there. Um, look, we need to see a lot more from Cam in the pros than we did in college. Everybody knows that, but uh, he has incredible measurables. Um, I, you know, he he has elite elite skills. Uh, and on the Hawks, he wouldn't be asked to be the, you know, to be the a number one dominant player because they've already got Trey Young, uh, and they and they got a couple other guys who are quite 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 good, um, who I think would be you know the the lead dogs, and, and I think Cam's best role may be to be a a really good complementary player who plays great defense and varies three point shots, uh, and I think that's a good fit for what the Hawks need. So I, I think it's, you know, it makes sense, perfect sense, actually, that uh, most of these uh, outlets are discussing Cam Reddish going to the Hawks with the eighth pick and not the 10th pick, because at number nine is Sam's Washington Wizards. And I think with Cam, Cam kind of reminds the Wizards of a Trevor Reza, and they love having Trevor Reza on their team. I think they've had him, what, two or three times. But that kind of player is someone that they're looking for. Um, and you know, if Cam Reddish can improve his shooting, he can be that Trevor Reza type of player that they need with better defense. And in my opinion, the better ability to handle the ball and drive the lane. So I think getting him at number eight and not waiting till 10 makes a lot of sense because he probably won't go past the wizards. If for some reason the Hawks decide not to take him at eight. Yeah. I think the, the only way the Hawks don't get him at eight is if he goes before them. Right. He won't get past them. He won't get yeah. past the break. Yeah. Cam Reddish, Cam yeah. Reddish is like a is like a classic draft prospect, right? He's he's really tall for his position. He's probably a shooting guard in the NBA. He has a decent looking shot, if not a successful shot, because in college his his three point percentage was just not where I think a lot of experts expected it to be. I think we expected it to be better than it was in college, but that's the sort of thing that an NBA team figures that they can work on. He has the athleticism. He has the size. His defense is, is excellent for a wing, right? He's not going mm-hmm. to be expected to be guarding the, the primary ball handler on the other team. He's going to be expected to be guarding a, a shooter, a slasher. And he's, he's definitely capable of doing that at a, like an NBA, maybe slightly below average ability, even now in his career. So he's sort of a classic prospect where you expect the offense to catch up to the defense. And I think a lot of teams look at a six, seven, six, eight Cam Reddish and think we can do so much with him. I think Donald, I think your comparison to Trevor Ariza is awesome, right? He's a defense first guy who Mm -hmm. can, who can develop into that, into that sort of all around third option. Um, and, And that's hopefully the sort of guy you get with not the top 
two, three, four pick, but something you get back half of the top 10. So I think, yeah, looking at looking at Atlanta, I think is a very obvious place for him to go. I think DC would love to have him. I hope honestly for his own sake that he doesn't end up in Washington because the, the bullets are a rudderless ship right now. So <laughs> for, for Cam's own development, uh, hopefully he ends up in Atlanta or, 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 you know, maybe someone even higher takes a, takes a flyer on him, but I expect him to be, uh, to, to be a very intriguing prospect for whoever takes him. They're going to, they're going to throw some stuff at him, but they won't expect him to be a, a primary guy the way that, uh, you know, obviously the Pelicans are looking at Zion being, and then whoever takes RJ Barrett being that, uh, being Memphis or the, or the Knicks or the Lakers, any of those teams that takes RJ Barrett is going to expect him to contribute right away. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift uh, to obviously the, the top two, two players in the draft, Zion and RJ. But I want to start with a scenario that I personally think would be interesting and that has a non-zero chance, a decent chance of being considered and actually popping off. Now, we talk about Zion I, I, being I, at number can I Go ahead. can I predict what you're gonna you're gonna talk about Zion and RJ playing for the same team? I mean, I was until you said it, but now I'm gonna talk about <laughs> it. Now, but do it now anyway. I'm gonna do it now anyway. So the scenario is this: uh, obviously, the number one pick uh, in the NBA draft, everyone assumes it's going to be Zion Williamson. And if the Pelicans decide not to do that, they would just be you know selling their franchise down the river, and that's their own damn fault. But anyway, Zion goes number one. They've been talking all year about the Anthony Davis situation. They've been trying to trade him actively to several different teams. One of the teams that is in that mix that they know that Anthony Davis will resign is the New York Knicks, who hold the number three pick. They also have just acquired a bunch of assets uh, in the trade that sent uh, Christoph Porzingis to the Dallas Mavericks. So the scenario is, is that the New York Knicks try to get Anthony Davis in a trade before the draft with a huge trade package that includes the number three pick, which the Pelicans would use to grab RJ Barrett, thus putting Zion and RJ on the same team uh, with the young, basically forming the young core, the new young core of the New Orleans Pelicans, along with former uh, 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 fellow Dukies, Jalil Okafer and Frank Jackson. And of course, uh, as it, Part of this news that kind of makes this a little bit more interesting is the news that came down. Was it new GM? The new general manager of the New Orleans Pelicans is none other than the Alaskan assassin Trajan Langdon. So there's a lot of Duke parts to this. Jason, uh, you mentioned it. We'll, we'll go to you first. Does this scenario make sense? Do you think it could happen? Or and what do you just think about this whole top three in in itself? So first of all, R.J. Barrett is going to go uh, third. Um, Ja Morant is going to go second, uh, mostly because Memphis really, really wants another point guard. Mike Conley does not want to stick around. In They've Memphis been trying to trade for, him for you know yeah. for the last few months. I mean, the Pistons almost got him in a trade that was nixed because the Pistons would not give up another dope Blue Devil, Luke Kennard. Right, right. So, uh, so they're ready to move on from Conley. Conley doesn't want to be there for a rebuild, uh, and so they're going to take John Morant. And so RJ Barrett's going to fall to third. Um, I, I, I don't know if the Knicks will make this move. If I was the Knicks, I'm not sure that I would, uh, because rookies, guys on rookie contracts who can play are worth their weight in gold in the NBA. You know, everything in the NBA that you do is confined by the salary cap and and by your ability to, to push the cap in certain kind of ways. Uh, you, you, you can't be a real contender without being able to do some very successful, you know, funky kind of things with the cap. And the best way to succeed with the cap is to have guys who are vastly underpaid because they're on rookie contracts. So I think, you know, I think a guy like RJ Barrett, who I think is going to be a very good pro, maybe not immediately, maybe not his first year. Um, but, uh, but, but it, during his rookie contract, I think it's very likely that RJ Barrett, we may, we may be talking about a guy who's, you know, contending for NBA all-star teams during his rookie contract and guys like that. Wow. You, you know, you gotta be very hesitant about getting rid of them. Um, so if I'm the Knicks, I'm hesitant to make this deal. Uh, but then the other thing is if I'm new Orleans, 
I want to give the Anthony Davis Zion Williamson experiment a chance. Even if Anthony Davis is saying to you, I don't want to do it. I, I want to move on. Please trade me. I will not resign with you. Guys, I, I think that Anthony Davis's value in trade is the same today as it would be in October or November. Do you disagree with me? There's nothing about his value that will go down, I don't think, once the season starts. The so only the only thing I'm about Orleans, that the only thing, Jason, about yeah. about Anthony Davis's trade value, this sort of thing. I, I admittedly I follow the the like baseball transaction market more than I follow the NBA transaction market. But what happens is these guys sort of run out of like teams will commit enough salary to to various players that let's say there are I, I don't know maybe there are five or six teams that that have the space and the room like the the cap space and then also like the floor space mm-hmm. to trade for an Anthony Davis that number of teams will go down as the offseason goes on so it, that, and 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 New Orleans point. knows that um, and there's and, also and, this, and, there's also the like, fact of RJ you know I mean this could be and and Jason, you were talking about how he's probably not going to be immediately out of the gates good. But if he is immediately out of the gates good, his trade value goes up and the Knicks no longer include him in the trade package to get Anthony Davis. So the, the package value goes down. Well, wait, well, and, let's be let's And, be clear. and RJ will wait, demonstrate wait, that very quickly, right? Let, let, let's be clear about something. Uh, first of all, I don't think he needs to demonstrate it very, very quickly. I think it's very possible. Guys struggle early in the... Trey Young, who who is one of the finalists for NBA Rookie of the Year, and by the end of the season was playing better than any other rookie in the league. The first two months of the season, he was terrible for the Hawks. Mm-hmm. He was not good, and everyone was saying this this pick was a bust. This was a disaster. The Hawks made a huge mistake, and then suddenly, he, you know, the guy kind of figured out what it takes to succeed in the NBA. So it doesn't have to happen overnight. But the the, the thing I was going to say is Anthony Davis is such. Let me back up for a second on this. The key to success in the NBA is finding a guy who's like top five in the league. It's so hard to do. It is, it's virtually impossible. Think about how many number one picks don't even turn into all-stars. Finding a guy who's a first-team all-NBA player, like that's if you're a GM, that's your goal. That's the only thing that you have on your mind at all times. New Orleans has one. Anthony Davis is unquestionably one of the five best players in the league right now. And, and, and he's, and he's the best center in the league. Mm-hmm. Best, best big man, period. I mean, unless you're going to count Kevin Durant as a big man and Kevin Durant really plays or, outside. So, or perhaps Giannis of, or Giannis. If, I mean, Giannis is a point guard, but uh, he's, again, he's but, enormous, yeah, but we're talking about guys, these are guys who play out, but I'm talking about guys who, who primarily play in the post. He's the best player in the NBA at that. So uh, again, I'm going to go back to what I was saying. If I'm New Orleans, I'm going to be really hesitant about trading him. The, the, what's the rule of thumb in any trade? You always say, whoever got the best player won the trade. Well, no matter what, that means New Orleans loses the trade. There's no way, that, unless, they're trading, unless they're trading Anthony Davis for James Harden or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, which they're not, of course. Mm-hmm. Unless you're trading for one, or Paul George, maybe. Unless you're trading for one of those guys, New Orleans just lost the trade. So if, if you're New Orleans, why are you so eager to make this trade? And and let me finish, and then I'll, I'll let you guys talk some. The reason, if I'm New Orleans, the reason I want to see the Anthony Davis Zion Williamson experiment to see if it works is because it has the potential to be absolutely unreal on both ends of the floor. Because the thing that makes Zion and Davis unique is their ability to. To, to both be a big man who finishes incredibly well around the bucket and also be a guy who can, uh, you know, who has good handle, who can be outside and penetrate. I mean, those guys, they're just, it's just rare. And those two guys on defense together, Anthony Davis is the best post defender in the league, probably. Um, combining him with Zion Williamson, who we've already seen is like some kind of weird freak in terms of blocking shots, altering shots, and 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 recovering, and and the speed with which he jumps, can you imagine Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson playing defense together? Whole, I I just, if I'm New Orleans, I I just want to see that happen for a little bit to see if it's so great that Anthony Davis goes. You know what? You don't need to trade me because if I they mean, don't I, trade him, that's their big win. That's I'm their win. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in Anthony Davis if he doesn't want to 
see what that's like, right? I mean, everyone knows yeah. that, that it's yeah. Jason. That your your opinion here is not unique, right? Everyone is saying that it's going to be so cool to see Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson playing the four and the five together in the NBA. And how could how could you not want to be part of that if you're Anthony Davis? He's not going to play with a more interesting player right now than than Zion Williamson for the places that he might get traded to. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I agree. And by the way, you know, the funny thing about this, about Zion ending up in New Orleans, and there was all this talk that Zion was disappointed and stuff like that. Um, I always thought that Zion was pretty likely to end up in New Orleans because if the Knicks got that pick, if they got the number one pick, then they're definitely trying to make the trade to get Anthony Davis. And there are a couple other teams that if they'd landed that number one pick, I think that they would have tried to trade for Anthony Davis. Hold and on. Wait, no, Jason, no. you think the Knicks were trading Zion for that Anthony Davis? That was a real possibility. That oh, actually yeah. was a real possibility, and the fans yes. were would riot. That city would, would riot. riot. It would be a that would be so ridiculous if the Knicks did that. I mean, like maybe they would, but but the hype around Zion to New York has been a year in the making, like months in the like. How long has this been going on? I can't but imagine, keep, but keep I can't in mind imagine the Knicks doing that. That hype and that fervor and that just hysteria was amongst the fans. When you talk about the the team, the team has always been talking about, or at least stacking their chips to try and go after three of, uh, you know, basically go after Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis in the offseason and try to get two of those three. And getting Zion and this was would the just way help they could them get in all that, three in that goal. They could they could get. They could get all three of them. Right. If they, and, you know, when's I'm the not last sure time, look, if, the, the Knicks are such a trash organization that they're literally in New York. And like, what was the last awesome free agent that they signed? Like, they don't get any of these dudes. There must be something Lance so Thomas. horribly like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like they, they, they sign no free agents and they are in, look, I, I don't want to move to New York city. I have a lot of friends that live there. I don't want to move there. If I was an NBA basketball player and I was making five or ten or fifteen million dollars a year, I would almost certainly want to live in New York City. Right. It is like it is unconscionable that NBA players don't all just go play for the Knicks because it's awesome to be in New York. But see it's now, but, but now they don't have to. They can go live in New York City and play for the Nets, right? Or they could be JJ Redick and play for the for Philadelphia and live in Brooklyn, right? right. Which which is insane, but is but is the way that he lives. So <laughs> we got we got a little sidetracked, but here, okay. So I want to ask you guys to kind of wrap this up. A couple of predictions. Hey, wait. By, by the way, by the way, the last big free agent that the Knicks signed was either um, uh, Joakim Noah or Tim Hardaway Jr. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so keep searching because I don't count either of those guys. Yeah, they don't, don't count. <laughs> um, I'll go back. I'll go back a little bit and see what yeah, else I keep, can come up Donald, with. <laughs> Donald, move on to the next topic. Donald, yeah. move on to the next topic. Jason, okay. you keep searching. We're going to stay in the NBA draft, but we're going to talk about, and I want to go to you, Sam. Um, wait, wait, I hey, get... hey, should I just toss out names as I come across them? Like Jose Calderon. Does that <laughs> Okay, no, if you're going to be tossing no, out Jose Calderon. Oh, Amari it... Stoudemire. Okay. Yeah, how long I'll ago take... was Amari that? Stoudemire. Amari 12 Stoudemire. years ago? <laughs> Uh, 1983. Right, exactly. Amar and Tyson Chandler. Amar Stoudemire and Tyson Chandler were the two guys. I think I think you're I'll, proving my point. Yeah, I will give you both of them, but I also know how long ago those were. So yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Sam, I want you to give us a little update. 2010. You know. Amar Stoudemire. <laughs> Yo, that was nine years ago. I was nope. in college when that nope. happened. Yeah, no, <laughs> nope. We can't have it. Um. Look, they've kicked Charles Oakley out of the garden more recent than that. So, um, <laughs> so look, okay. So to close out the NBA draft, we want to talk about two other guys that also threw their names in the NBA draft and they're testing the waters, Marquise Bolden and Javin Delorier. Uh, we haven't heard much. Um, Sam, can you give us an update on what their status is right now and whether you think we'll, prob- we'll see them back in a Duke uniform next year? Yeah, so they're both still technically in the draft. Um, they've I, I've seen some news floating around about about both Javin and Marquise getting invited to various teams' 
uh, workouts, like group workouts. I think I saw uh, Donald. I think I saw your Pistons invited one of them the other day to a uh, Deloria. He invited Deloria yeah. is going to a Pistons workout, but neither of them, most importantly, neither of them got invited to the NBA draft combine. And that's, you know, the, the, the very top players don't necessarily go to the combine. Zion Williamson doesn't have to go to the NBA draft combine, but for players who are late first round or projected second round picks, getting invited to the combine is a big deal for sort of justifying your inclusion generally in the draft pool. Um, teams that are like, if you're a player hey, that hey, lots of teams Sam. are interested in. Yeah. Sam, yeah, really quickly, just so you know, the way they decide who gets invited is they poll the teams and they say, right. who do you want to see here? So right. that's, that's what I was, that, <laughs> that's what I was getting to is that like, yeah. if, if you are a, if you're a real prospect and really it's the, it's the 30 teams that decide if you're a prospect, you know, the, the writers don't matter here. The fans don't matter here. If, if enough teams want to see you, they'll, they'll see you at the combine. And if they don't, you won't get invited. And by the way, that probably means you're not getting picked because you are, even if you are ultimately like going to have a better career than some of the guys who do get invited. It means that right now the teams aren't so interested in you and neither Delorier nor Bolden got invited. So the likelihood that they stay in the draft is probably lowered just because of that. Um, Duke is Duke's the kind of institution we've talked about this before in years past about guys, you know, dipping their water, dipping their toes into the water, if you will, in the NBA draft. Duke is the sort of place that's going to give players the kind of honest assessment about where they land, about where they stand in regards to the NBA draft. And I'm sure at this point that both Delorier and Bolden are getting advice that says, look, you know, you might still have professional, you you will have professional careers in basketball, be that in the U S or abroad or in the D in the G league. But at this point, neither of you looks like a, a serious prospect. And it, it probably doesn't even make sense to stay in the draft unless you are, unless either of them feels this way. And we haven't really seen a lot of media from them as far as how they feel about their career development or what kind of minutes they're going to get next year. Obviously Duke bring in, is bringing in one very prominent big man in Vernon Carey. They're bringing in another power forward in Matthew Hurt, who is, is presumed to take a lot of minutes next year. But, you know, so, so maybe either of these prospects seems like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm only going to get 10 or 15 minutes next year. My role is not going to increase. Maybe it just makes sense to jump to the G league. That may be the case, but as far as like serious attention from NBA teams, neither of them is getting a first round look. They may get second round flyers, but not getting invited to the combine is a big deal. I so, will say, I will say for Javid Delorier, um, when he was invited to the Pistons workout, the Pistons beat writer uh, mentioned that it uh, that he had been invited to the G League combine, which is the first year that they're doing this. This was, uh, I want to say, it was last week uh, that they had that, but no word on what happened there because guys it's the g league combine so that's clearly not what he's looking for to be involved in the g league he would have to stay in the draft not get drafted and then get drafted into the g league and again and again for for players who are for players who are fringe prospects who also don't come from prominent college programs for guys you know if you're a if you get invited to the g league combine and you go to mississippi state um sure go for it you're gonna get more looks that way duke is playing in the ACC Duke is going to be on national television every night. Uh, even if Javon Delorier only plays 10 minutes a game for Duke next year, he has opportunities to show that he belongs on a team with a lot of other elite players. And he's going to get more of those opportunities than he would honestly in the G league. Uh, right. He'll be able to focus on it. The, both of them are going, are, are rising seniors and, you know, we, we can talk all we want about, how academics and athletics mix for for these these players at, at a program like Duke. By the time they get to senior year, their class schedules are pretty light, and they can be they can be pretty focused on basketball and still be sort of on track for graduation. So it is probably a better move for Javin Delorier and Marquise Bolden to be Duke student athletes next year on a lighter course load than it is for them to be you know non focused players on a G League team because the sort of the the, the other side of the coin as far as the G league becoming more prominent is that teams are actually using it to like focus on certain players. Guys are going to get drafted in, in the first round, even who are going to be sent immediately to the G league to work on skills. And right. those guys are going to be the focus of the teams. Javin Delorier and Marcus Bolden are not going to be focused players on G league teams. Uh, they're going to be, they're going to be there to be, you know, bodies for the other guys to develop. So I think that, that well, they're well, going to wait, have wait, a, wait, 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 uh, but but the one thing about that is, uh, and 
you know, I, I, I don't know what Coach K is going to do in terms of playing time and stuff like that, but it sure feels like Matthew Hurt and Vernon Carey are going to be the focus guys for Duke in the post and that, you know, Bolden and Delorier, they're not going to be, they won't be the focal points for maybe on defense, but they won't be the focal points for Duke either. Um, no, but, I, but, but they get the, but they get, they get more of that coach K experience. They get more of the leadership development. They get more of all the sort of ancillary Duke stuff. And I'm not, I, I, I think the guys should go pursue what they want to pursue. I think it's a very easy call for, for these guys to say, being at Duke for another year is going to give me opportunities that I won't get again. And I can and more exposure. I, I mean, if and I can jump, way. I can jump to the G league at age 22 rather than age 21 and basically get the same experience. Um, well, and I, can't, and I can't get the opportunity at Duke again. And, and those intangibles, the, the, the association with the Duke program, the learning that you have, things like that. We are, we are seeing real time. The, uh, the benefits of that um, in, you know, as Donald mentioned earlier, Trajan Langdon just got a, a job running an NBA team. Uh, Elton Brand is so running an Brand. NBA yeah. team. Yeah. I mean, Billy King is still involved with the, uh, at the executive level. Danny yeah, Ferry I mean, is like a is, is like a racist and is still involved. <laughs> uh, no, I mean the the ranks of of Dukies um, in the NBA is not just the players. Uh, there are just an unbelievable number involved in coaching and front office positions. And yeah, I mean uh, JJ Redick. JJ Redick is considered like one of the the key you know, senior heads in the NBA as far as like players go. And after his sophomore year, everyone thought he was a jerk and he almost got kicked off the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, yeah. like there is, I, I, I don't know what it is, but there is something about, about being at Duke and being a, a senior captain that makes you more capable and, and makes you stick around in professional basketball in either a playing or a front office capacity for longer. And, and the one big final thing is, you know, what if we're talking about exposure? I mean, how many games do we have on ESPN? Not ESPN two or ESPN U or ESPN News. How many do we have on big ESPN? Probably eighty five percent of our games, regular season games, and then all the tournament games were on CBS. It's yep. either that or you know two p.m. reruns of your games on NBA TV. I mean, yeah. The next time that <laughs> the next time that Jim Nance. The next time that Jim Nance is not calling a Duke tournament game is going to be the first time in like, I don't know, like 15 years or something. Exactly. So we have those, that exposure is only going to help them. But I mean, when we're thinking about it, they have until May 28th to pull their name out of the draft or to make their decision, whichever way they want to go. So we're, we're looking at, we're in almost inside of a week here before we will know for sure whether Javon Delorier and Marquise Bolden will be a part of the Duke basketball program next year. Uh, And I think, it'll probably be something where they're going to take all the time that they can to get all the information and make an informed decision. And I think we all wish them best of luck uh, with that decision, but hopefully we see them back in Duke Blue next year. Uh, Guys, we want to stay in the NBA. We want to discuss the NBA playoffs briefly uh, there have been a ton of Blue Devils in the NBA playoffs this year. Ten players were on NBA playoff rosters, and right now, at literally as we record, we are down to either Seth Curry and Rodney Hood, or given that they're up 3-0 in the playoffs right now, um, most likely Quinn Cook representing the Brotherhood in the NBA Finals. Now, Sam, I want to get your take on these playoffs. Have you been watching? What have you been watching? And what have you enjoyed about it so far? Man, it's been the, the NBA playoffs are great all every year. I feel like it, it and, and honestly, it's gotten better the last few years as more teams have gotten analytically savvy and and they understand, you know, how to how to put the teams together. And I think that Quinn Cook is like a perfect example of the sort of player who would not have been valuable, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But now the Warriors, who have been the most successful franchise the last five years, absolutely see the value in and and you can see it on the court you can see Quinn Cook succeeding for this for this Warriors team um Seth Curry is making a huge difference for uh for the Blazers unfortunately I'm not sure if they're gonna if they're gonna make it through to the next round um but it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch I have really enjoyed it as you guys know it's not like I watch a ton of NBA during the season I'm, I'm really more focused on Duke but I am locked into these NBA playoffs I think it's a ton of fun Jason have you been watching I know um we were talking. Oh yeah, 
talking the other day about uh, how Quinn Cook has emerged in the, especially in this series against the Blazers. Well, yeah, and and Quinn was really given a chance by all the injuries that the Warriors have suffered, um, uh, and he's been playing double digit minutes every game of the Western Conference Finals. Uh, so so good for him. He's not he's not exactly filling up you know the the stat sheet, but that's not Quinn's role. He plays hard. He plays smart. He gives them key minutes uh, usually when um, uh, when Steph Curry's on the bench. Um, and I, you know, I, Quinn, Quinn is very, very much showing that that he belongs and that he is part of a team that remains the uh, the prohibitive favorite to to win yet another set of rings. Um, uh, Rodney and Seth are the guys to me who have made themselves some serious money these playoffs. They're they're playing the sixth and seventh most minutes on the Blazers, meaning they're the the first two guys off the bench. Um, Seth is hitting better than 41% of his three-pointers. That's the best of anybody on that Portland team. Um, Rodney's averaging more than 10 points per game. He's had several games where he absolutely looked like, you know, he's one of the top, you know, two, three guys on that, on that Portland team. Um, and, and I, you know, both of them are free agents. This was, you know, this is a season that they both needed to go right for them. And both Rodney and Seth, I think, have made themselves some money in these playoffs. They have showed that when the lights shine the brightest, their play is at its best. And the NBA and television especially loves Seth versus Steph. They oh, just absolutely. adore it. And it's been so much it's fun. Time see, you know, yeah. Seeing seeing the Curry family in the stands, mom and dad, Dell and Sonia. I mean, like it's they're they're having a great time. And their their kids are both playing really well, uh, playing against each other a lot. And if the NBA had any brains at all, that that jersey that Del Curry wears that has uh, that has Seth's uh, number and Portland jersey on the back and Steph's Warriors jersey. Uh, sorry, the Portland on the front and the Warriors jersey on the back. Mm-hmm. They would be printing those and selling them like hotcakes. Those are so awesome. Yeah, and they've made, <laughs> I love uh... that. They made the uh, the the uh, quarter zips. They both were wearing that during Game Three. The quarter zips that had both of the logos on either side, and they were alternating. So Sonya had like the Warriors on the left and the Blazers on the right, and then Dell had the Blazers on the left and and the you know, Warriors. Like it was just it's it's been sweet, and just even the coin flip that they did before Game One to see whose jersey who uh, each other would wear. I mean that has been really fun. But I want to talk really quickly about just the. The players that have been involved in the playoffs, if we're talking about all the Duke players that have appeared in the playoffs, almost every single one of them has made an impact for their team in the playoffs in some capacity. If we're talking about, you know, Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum for the Celtics, for the Celtics, Miles Plumley, I'm sorry, Mason Plumley for the Nuggets was dominating for at stretches. Grace Allen was probably the only one. Um, that really didn't get a lot of burn um, in the playoffs for the Jazz, but that's because the Jazz were pretty stacked, and he's you know in his rookie season and he's learning. You know, we're talking about also uh, uh, Luke Kennard was the Pistons' best scorer in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, granted, my Pistons were only in it for four games, but he he starred in four games and made it so that when people were talking about trading him, and the Pistons said no, he paid them back with dividends. Um, Austin Rivers had some big shots. You talked about Seth Curry and Rodney Hood, and you've talked about Quinn Cook. That is what the brotherhood is all about, and that is why our brand, that brand keeps getting stronger. J.J. Redick, I, I, I failed to mention him. He, he was just destroying people in the playoffs, and, and it, it, just that sort of domination by Duke players, having them be the stars for their team, not, not necessarily every game, but at certain key stretches, making key buckets, um, winning basketball games, uh, playing great defense down the stretch or being on the floor at different times. That is what Duke wants to see because that's only telling players that are out there, hey, if you come to Duke, this is going to be your future. Um, this can be your future. If you work hard, you get in the right situation, you could be appearing in the playoffs like uh, like these guys are on right now. So I, I say big ups to everybody who's playing in the playoffs, but um, this Warriors-Blazer series looks like it's about to be over soon, uh, possibly. Um, but we're going to have someone from the Brotherhood, no matter what, representing in the NBA Finals, and I think that's terrific. Hey, Donald, just really, really fast. How crazy is it that J.J. Redick had his best season as a pro at the age of 34, 35? I mean, you just – that doesn't happen. He gets better. He literally gets better every year. 
and it's crazy. Remember this time last year and this time the year before that, we were talking about how JJ Reddick was uh, was basically in a one year contract. It was a, for a, a buttload of money, and it was because he wanted to just say, "Hey, I want to go to a winner, play my butt off, and really, you know, maybe that'll." give me a, a nice little mid mid-level exception deal for the rest of my career. And every year he keeps putting up bigger and better numbers. I mean, he may not end up on the, on the Sixers next year because he may be too expensive for them. Like that's something that four years ago, people were just like, Oh, he's probably going to make, you know, seven to $10 million and be done. Now he's making 17, $20 million and could easily command more in a one to two year deal uh, over the next couple of years. So, uh, that will be something to watch in the offseason. But I, I love his game. And I love how it's evolved, uh, even as the, the NBA has just kind of become bigger, better, faster. He has adapted to that. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by those fine gentlemen at Bird Campbell, PA, a business law firm with offices in Florida and Texas for all of your business legal needs. Go with the guys who bleed Duke blue. That is bird Campbell. Find them at birdcampbell.com. That's B Y R D C A M P B E L L.com. Bird Campbell means business. Okay, guys, we are done with the NBA for now, and we want to shift gears to the future of Duke basketball, and we're going to look at the class of 2020 for a minute. Duke got a commitment last week from rising senior point guard Jeremy Roach, who hails from Leesburg, Virginia, just a few miles, few miles west of me. Uh, he is rated as the number three point guard and number 14 overall player in the ESPN 100 for next year's class, and is going to be the start of what looks to be another huge uh, recruiting success. That news comes on the heels of Boogie Ellis from the class of 2019 requesting and securing a release from his letter of intent to play at Duke this coming season. He will now play for uh, Penny Hardaway at Memphis. So Jason, you're the, you're the recruiting guru. I'm going to start with you. Give us your take of Jeremy Roach and what this means for our team. And you can also use that to discuss uh, Boogie Ellis's departure, if you will. So the first thing you got to love about Jeremy Roach is that he is the first five-star recruit in the 2020 class to commit to anyone the first one and it comes for duke and 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 he plays the position that you need more than any other position on the floor that's point guard he's widely considered the second best point guard in the class he's about a top 15 recruit and it is really easy for me to tell you what jeremy roach is like as a player think about trey jones uh he is very similar to trey jones he's a guy who uh, is a great penetrator, a really good passer, playing with his head up the whole time, pushing the ball up the floor. He is a very pesky defender, a guy who who's going to play advanced defense from day one. Um, but he's not a truly elite athlete. I mean, you know, this is not Trevon Duval um, elevating and and slamming with authority and things like that and hanging in the air. Um, and he's not a great outside shooter. Um, uh, there's lots of thought that uh, Jeremy Roach may not be an automatic one-and-done kind of kid. I mean, it's so hard to say these days, and obviously we haven't seen anyone play yet, so we don't know. But in terms of you know having like that immediate NBA skill of being like a, a just a lights-out scorer, especially from the perimeter, or being a crazy, ridiculous athlete, he's neither of those. But this is a guy who's who's considered to be a great leader. The teams he play on plays on always tend to win, and. One of the best thing about it may be that he is someone who is very close to a lot of the other five-star recruits in the class. And a lot of people think, you know, Donald, you mentioned a lot of people think Duke's going to have a great recruiting class in 2020. And one of the major reasons is because they've signed, they got Jeremy Roach really early on in the process. And he's going to his buddies like Jalen Johnson and Brandon Boston and Walker Kessler. And he's talking to them and he's saying, hey, guys, yep, you you know, Scotty Barnes, you know, that's another one who he's friendly, friendly with. He's saying, guys, come play with me at Duke. Let's, I'm the point guard. I'm the guy who's going to feed you. I'm the guy, you know, we played together on Team USA and stuff like that. I'm, I'm the guy who's going to set you up so that you guys do all the scoring. Come play with me at Duke. And, and a lot of people think that that's, that's going to be a very successful pitch to some of these other top players. But I'm just thrilled that we've got the guy who will take over for Trey Jones. 
point guard is where it all begins um, at Duke, and Jeremy Roach is going to be a very good one for us. And Jason, you forgot to mention that all of the, the accolades of Jeremy Roach comes when he didn't even play his junior year. He, he tore his ACL. Um, so uh, we're going to be able to see him play. I'm looking forward to seeing him play uh, this next year uh, when he comes to – he plays in a league that involves some D.C. Um, prep schools. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him play uh, there. But also, while we talk about that, we have to talk about Boogie Ellis and his departure, his release from his letter of intent. Obviously, on our last podcast, we talked about how many players we were going to have and how many minutes there were to divide between them, and it wasn't that many. And it seemed like that has gotten a little easier, not as much easier, uh, with his departure. Sam, why don't you talk about Boogie and his departure? What does that mean? What do you, what, what do you think was behind it? Uh, and what do you think it means for the rotation this next year? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors here. He decommitted before um, before Jeremy Roach committed, but I'm sure he would have known that that Duke was pursuing Jeremy Roach. I think the the main thing here is that Trey Jones decided to stay for that second year. Boogie Ellis, of course, committed before Trey Jones was locked in for for his sophomore season. And I think all season, you know, we we were sort of on the fence about do we think Trey's going to leave? I think he came in maybe leaning towards leaving after freshman year. Most of his, you know, all the guys he came in with were expected to leave, you know, save for Joey Baker. But but the other the other big three were expected to leave. His brother obviously left after one season. He uh, showed a lot of signs early of particularly on the defensive end being capable. So Boogie Ellis probably saw all that and thought, well, Trey Jones is going to be gone. I'll be safe to be a Duke. Maybe I'll, like, I'll get a fair shake to to be the starting point guard and play 25-ish minutes a game, even though I'm not, a top five, top 10 type prospect. Uh, so Trey Jones coming back was a factor. And then, and then Donald, you, you teed it up perfectly. It's the, the fact that the, the backcourt for Duke this year looks really crowded. Um, there's more shooters than there are handlers, but that doesn't mean that, that Duke is afraid to put a bunch of shooters on the floor and see what happens. And Boogie Ellis can look around and see that you have returning guys in, in Alex O'Connell and Joey Baker in here. You have Cassius Stanley, who's a late commit. Um, Wendell Moore, who was, who was already in the mix when he committed. We, we said it's a crowded backcourt. We don't know how things are going to shake out for Duke. And I think that we skirted around this topic the last time we talked about how many how many guards are on this team. Um, we didn't really talk about the possibility that that one or more of them would transfer because it just seemed like freshmen don't do that and the, and the upperclassmen seemed fairly happy with their with their positions. Um, this is sort of the result of that. This is the most obvious. Um, this is the 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 most recurring theme when it comes to crowded teams at top programs guys transfer it's been the story at duke but it's also been the story at kentucky it's been the story at, at other top programs we shouldn't be we shouldn't be so surprised that boogie ellis isn't coming and to his credit he's going to a memphis team that can can use him almost certainly like you know he'll he'll get more minutes early at memphis and memphis looks to be really good next year so I, I don't think you can fault Boogie Ellis for for leaving. It's disappointing because you don't want to lose guys that that Coach K was in on. But I don't think we definitively today can say that it impacts Duke in a significant way, especially for next season, um, perhaps for the 2020-2021 season. But it's so far away. Duke's got Jeremy Roach in the bag. They hopefully get to keep some of the other guards who are who are already in the program who who won't necessarily be going pro. So I'm not freaking out about about Boogie Ellis decommitting. The thing that I really actually did want to um, sort of tie it up with and, and to kind of leave everybody with a positive note about is that when Boogie Ellis announced that he was leaving, it was it was very cut and dry that Duke was like, "Yep, go talk to whatever teams, um, commit wherever you want." There were no restrictions. I think one of the one of the grossest things that we see in college athletics uh, in basketball somewhat. And then certainly in football is where teams have players and then they get told, okay, you can transfer, but you can't go to teams that we're going to play. You can't go to teams in our conferences, like all that nonsense. Duke has to our knowledge has never pulled any of those kinds of shenanigans on players. It's like, all right, you don't want to be here, go wherever you're going to be happy. There, there's no, there's no benefit to Duke to limiting where the kid is going to go. And now he's going to go to Memphis. Duke, I don't know if Duke's going to play Memphis next year. Maybe we will. Um, the schedule's not out yet. You know, maybe we end up in the same 
in, in some like showcase event with them. Um, but Coach K doesn't sweat it. The program doesn't sweat it. Boogie Ellis gets to gets to play where he wants to play, and and everybody seems to be happy with the outcome. Jason, do you have anything to add on on the Boogie Ellis front? Well, the only thing I'll say is while I recognize that Trey Jones probably you know, was the major contributing factor to Boogie Ellis deciding not to come to Duke because it meant point guard minutes were going to be extremely limited next year. I actually think, I think Boogie, you know, may have heard, I think the Duke coaches may have even told him that Jeremy Roach seemed pretty likely to come to Duke. So Boogie wasn't just looking at not playing point guard his freshman year because most people don't think that, that Boogie has like obvious point guard skills. Uh, it's something, you know, something that he's gonna have to work on a little bit. He's a great shooter. He's a great outside shooter, but he's not a guy who you immediately go, oh yeah, that guy's playing point guard for me. Um, and in fact, uh, Memphis, the school he's going to is still very much recruiting RJ Hampton, who, who will be a point guard. Um, uh, and, and a lot of people think RJ Hampton's going to end up going to Memphis. Um, and, and so Boogie Ellis would be looking at playing behind RJ Hampton as a freshman. I, I think the fact that Jeremy Roach was coming was Duke's way of sort of saying to Boogie, look, we don't even know if we're going to be able to get you in at point guard as a sophomore. And, and I think that was, I think that's where it was for Boogie that Boogie was like, I, you know, I just, I, I got to go someplace where I can really work on the skills and the position that I need to become a pro someday. Boogie Ellis is not one of these kids who's an automatic NBA prospect, uh, not by a long stretch. So, uh, so I, I, I totally get why he went to Memphis and, Perhaps the thing that I'm the most sad about is I just think Boogie's such a cool name. I wish Duke had a Boogie. So I'm kind of bumming that we lost our Boogie and that this is one of the last times we're going to get to say Boogie on this podcast. Boogie. I mean, the the chance coming from the crazies, I already I already had a bunch in my head for whenever Boogie hit a three that that the crazies could have done. But ah, we'll we'll just find another guy. It was not we'll to be. Alas. Okay, guys, before we get out of here, there's a couple of quick notes that we wanted to do. And Sam, I'm going to give you uh, the first nod. You wanted to give us an update on Duke lacrosse. Yeah. So Duke men's lacrosse uh, continues its general dominance in the John Donowski era. They advance to the final four with a late overtime victory against Notre Dame. I watched a good chunk of the game. Didn't get to see the whole thing, but but did watch a good chunk of the game. So um you know, obviously people listen to the show primarily because they're interested in Duke basketball. But if you want to know who probably the most successful program at Duke has been in the last few years, it, it, it's Duke men's lacrosse. Um, so tune in. Uh, I believe they're playing on Saturday uh, in the final four um, and they'll get uh, I think it's UVA they get on Saturday. So that should be a good one. Um, check that out and uh, hope to see Donowski's team take home another national championship. Yeah, that's good. I- they're going to be uh, in Philadelphia uh, this weekend uh, for the Final Four. A couple other teams that were in uh, Final Fours or in championships. Uh, Duke Women's Golf is currently in the lead at the NCAA Championships. And wait, uh, aren't they the most successful team? Yeah, sorry, I, <laughs> yeah, I should have. I, I, I should have caveat. I feel like I feel like Duke Men's Lacrosse sort of uh, sort of pulled ahead of Duke Women's Golf the last like few years because Duke Women's Golf was like really strong like late 2000 aughts time frame mm-hmm. um, they had like one they won like four in a row yeah um, something something crazy like that yeah but they're now so, in the NCAA championship right now they're in the lead play was suspended today because of weather uh but they are going to be in the lead so let's stay tuned to that also um duke women's tennis went to the final four they eventually lost to georgia uh in the final four um and will not advance to the championship game but uh, we it's been a successful spring for a lot of teams uh, for Blue Devils. So for that, I know we are all very excited. Uh, but Jason, I'm going to give you the last word because you have some melancholy news that you need to pass us. Yes, I do. I saw a story out there earlier today, recording this on Monday the 20th, that uh, Jim Birch has died. Um, he was 91 years old. And most of you are going to say, wait, who is Jim Birch? Jim Birch was the first African-American, the first black man to officiate a basketball game in the ACC, um, a, a truly remarkable thing that he did in 
in a part of the, the country that was not very receptive um, of, uh, of African-Americans for a very, very long time. And uh, when, you know, if you think about it, um, when, when Jim Birch was officiating games in the ACC, it was, it was in the 1960s. Um, it, it, he was having to call technicals and fouls and face the ire of angry fans as a black man in a part of the, the country where, you know, white people lynching a black man would not have been that unusual. Uh, took tremendous, tremendous courage for a man like that to be able to do what he did. And he was never someone who complained about it. He was never someone who, you know, said he hadn't been given his due or anything like that. Uh, he was a man who just went out there, did his job, did it very, very well. This is a guy who 14, on 14 different occasions, he was selected to, to officiate in the NCAA tournament. That's, that's a lot. That's a big deal. It's not easy to make the NCAA tournament as an official. Um, and, uh, uh, but Jim Birch did it 14 different times, um, a, a great part of ACC history. And I just wanted to take a moment and recognize um, this man who, who, you know, who blazed an important path. And, uh, you know, we, we would not be where we are today without people like this taking the courageous first step that must be taken so that others can take the second, third, 50th, and 100th step. So, Jim Birch, thank you so much for your sacrifices that you made for, uh, for the betterment of ACC basketball. No, that's a, that, that is a good one. Um, and unfortunately a, a sad one, but thank you, Jason, for sharing that. I wanted to end very quickly with one that is not related to basketball, not related to sports at all, but something that in my mind is pretty damn cool. Um, last Sunday, or I guess yesterday, um, the Morehouse class of night 2019 was, uh, was graduating and their keynote speaker was Robert Smith. Now, most of you probably have not heard of Robert Smith, but Robert Smith uh, does a lot of things. He's an entrepreneur. He, he's an investor. Uh, he owns a couple of a couple of uh, venture capital firms. He is the large. He's the richest African American in America. Um, he is worth more than five billion dollars, and he has always looked for a way to try and spread that wealth to to rise up and, and bring people up that did not have the opportunities that he did. And one thing he did, he was given an honorary doctorate at Morehouse yesterday and gave the keynote speech at their graduation. And he did probably one of the coolest things anyone has ever done, ever. He announced that he was starting a grant at Morehouse to pay off the student loans of every single graduate in that class. Because he said, quote, this is my class and I know they'll pay it forward one day. I just wanted to give a shot to that because first of all, that is something that no one has ever done really. Um, it's, it's a grant that's worth more than 40 or $50 million. Um, the fact that 400 graduates have 40 to $50 million worth of school debt is something we'll save for another day. But I, I just want to point that out because very few times does anybody do something of that magnitude. And the fact that he did that for 400 uh, black graduates, at a historic black college in Atlanta um, is something that no one will really ever forget. Um, and I think uh, Robert Smith, stand up and, and take a bow because you deserve it for that sort of thing. I want to be you when I grow up. And, and by the philanthropy that you've given yesterday, I know that we all have a lot of growing up to do, but it's something that we can all strive for um, to hopefully in, in some way pay our debts forward and pay what we have built uh, and what we have taken from others uh, as far as mentorship and learning, taking those lessons and applying that to to the next generation to make this world better. So thank you, uh, Robert Smith, for doing that. And thank you just for being you. And, and by the way, Robert Robert Smith is considered one of the greatest philanthropists in the country. Um, yeah. And, and this is a guy who who knows that he has been incredibly fortunate in life. Um, he, he's worked hard. <laughs> he's worked really hard and he's really smart and he's been able to, to, to make, you know, ungodly sums of money. But he knows that it is it is his role to take that money and do good things with it. Um, and that's a that's just a really special thing. And by the way, it should be noted, he didn't go to Morehouse. Right. This guy, he went to Cornell. He was an engineering um, like a chemistry guy at Cornell. And then he went to Columbia Business School. 
Um, yeah, hey, two Ivy League schools. This is a this, like I said, this dude is smart. He didn't even go to to Morehouse, but he said, "I'm embracing this school and what it represents and its history, and I'm making sure that every single kid in the class of 2019 has zero dollars and zero cents of debt as they move forward in life." And that's amazing. Like you said, I'm so glad you pointed it out. Yeah. And for that, that'll do it for episode 160 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Um, we will ch lightly check back with you in a few weeks, maybe for a draft preview, but most likely uh, for sure after the draft has taken place when we know where our draftees have gone. But until then, for Sam Klein in Seattle and Jason Evans in Atlanta, I'm Donald Wine holding it down our nation's capital. Thank you out there as always for tuning in, and we'll let the Duke Band take us home.